Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. It says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the tax collectors, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, but he could not because of the crowd, because he was a wee little man. That's a little Irish for you. He was a wee little man. And he ran before, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he, meaning Jesus, was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up. Much to the surprise of Zacchaeus, I'm sure. He looked up and he saw him. Man's trying to hide. Guess what? You can't hide from Jesus. Trying to hide. And Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus. If anybody didn't know who it was, they know now. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today, I must abide at your house. And he, meaning Zacchaeus, made haste and he came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they, you know, the crowd, the multitude, when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that Jesus was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zechariah stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation. Come to this house. For so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Interesting story. The story of Zacchaeus. The news that Jesus brought is incredibly good news. The news that Jesus brings when he says the kingdom of heaven has arrived is good news beyond anybody's expectation of what it possibly could be. His miracles of ministry of teaching, his miracles cause great crowds to follow him Everyone, I'll say it again, everyone, how many? Everyone, Everyone, including Zacchaeus, was welcomed and accepted by him. So how should people react and how should people respond to this message of good news that Jesus brings? How did Zacchaeus respond And why did he respond 
in the manner in which he did. You will recall that I spoke out of Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. It says that Jesus came and he began to preach. Saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he says repent and believe the good news. Now here is the question for you. What comes first? The chicken or the egg? What comes first? Do we first repent or do we first believe? What comes first? Do we first repent and then somehow that puts us in a position that God can now accept us once we repent? Or does acceptance come first which moves us to repentance? What impression do we as an evangelical church give to people who do not know the Lord? What standard do they have to reach before they can feel they are accepted? What impression does the church give to those who do not know the Lord? So I'm going to repeat the question. Do we first repent? And this somehow puts us in a position that God say, now I can accept them. Or does acceptance come first and that moves people to repentance? What impression have we given to the world? In terms of experiential order, and here is the answer so we don't have to think about it too long. In terms of experiential order, The New Testament is clear. The teaching of Jesus is clear. His instructions about the kingdom of heaven is clear. That repentance is a response to being accepted. Repentance is a response. It is not a prerequisite. But it is a response to the good news of the kingdom. And the story of Zacchaeus is going to illustrate that in a most beautiful fashion for us. So let's try to understand the heart of Jesus in this matter before we look at the story of Zacchaeus in particular. He refers to his message as good news. I want you, if it is possible, I know it's not really possible because our minds are are full of, of these things, but if it's possible, pretend that Saul of Tarsus is not yet converted and he hasn't written any epistles. Pretend there is no book of Acts yet. Pretend there is no 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians and no teaching on justification, Romans or Galatians. Pretend that John hasn't written his epistles yet and uh, Peter hasn't written his epistles yet. Pretend that you are alive at the time of Jesus, when Jesus is walking on the shores of Galilee. And you have no New Testament to read yet. And all you've heard is the testimony and the preaching of Jesus, and you've seen his miracles. What is the message that you would have heard? What is the message that you would have heard? 
Jesus says, I'm bringing you good news. Hallelujah. I'm bringing you good news. And why is it good news? And the good news is because the kingdom, listen to this, the kingdom comes as a pure gift with no strings attached. It is unbelievably good news. I thought you'd be excited about that. I want to say it again. The kingdom comes as a pure gift with no strings attached. That is incredibly good news. Incredibly good news. It is the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's the year of Jubilee. It's the year when all debts are forgiven. It's the year of pure, lavish, undeserved mercy and grace to absolutely everybody and anybody and none of you deserve it. And He gives it to you, pure gift, no strings attached. I'm going to have to shout amen if you aren't. Amen, that's good preaching. Come on. It is an unbelievably incomprehensible great gift that He comes to bestow mercy and grace and favor on everybody. Whether you want it or not, He brings this incredible pure gift of the kingdom and is free with no strings attached. This is good news. No wonder the people follow Jesus. That is good news. It's the year of the Lord's favor. This means that God initiates the process by first accepting us, pronouncing forgiveness, and pronouncing release to the captives. And He doesn't offer this to the worthy. He offers it to the undeserving. Come on, this is good news. What kind of a gospel do we preach anyway? This is good news. The irony about the preaching of Jesus, that everybody who thinks they are deserving are the very ones who can't receive. If you think you got it coming, you're never going to get it. It's to the undeserving. It is good news. Listen to the familiar teaching of Jesus in, in Luke 12, and you know this in Matthew chapter 6, where he says, Consider the ravens. Now, wait a second. He didn't say, consider the dove. He didn't say, consider the, the, the robin. He said, consider the ravens. Folks, do you understand what that means to a Jewish here? To consider ravens? They're unclean things. They're evil, wicked, scavenging birds. They're not nice. Consider the ravens. And he says, and God even cares about them, and they're the ugly ones. They're the the cruel, they're the evil, they're the unclean animals that Jews have nothing to do with. And if God would feed them, come on, if God would feed them, I know you're getting excited over there. (laughs) If God would feed them, how much more? They don't even work, and they don't even save. 
And God looks after them. They don't have bank accounts. And God looks after them. How much more? Your heavenly Father. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And the explanation He gives in Luke 12.32, the reason we can take this attitude in Luke 12.32, fear not, little flock, because it is the Father's pleasure. I've got good news for you. The King is a Father. That's good news. Who, who is this God of the kingdom? He is a Father, and it says, and it is the Father's pleasure. Oh, He takes joy in doing this. It's the Father's pleasure to give. It's the Father's pleasure to what? It's the Father's pleasure to what? It's the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it's the Father's pleasure to give it. Come on, church. This is incredibly, unbelievably good news. Unbelievably, incredibly good news. Boy, if it's His pleasure to give us the kingdom and to care for us because He's a Father, I have been set free. From the tyranny of Satan's rule. I am set free from worry. I am set free from stress. Don't I look like it? I'm set free from worry. I'm set free from stress because my provision and my future is not in the hands of this world. It's not in my ability to manipulate and create wealth and riches. My success and my future is in the hands of a heavenly Father who just happens to love me because He's a Father and He's a good and it's His pleasure to give the kingdom. This is good preaching. I need to sit down and say amen again. I tell you, this is good news. Can you get it? That the kingdom, the message that Jesus brought is unbelievably incredible good news. Hallelujah. My goodness. Listen to what Jesus had to say. Come unto me, all you that are weary, and heavy laden. Been carrying any burdens lately? You've been weighed down by circumstances? Are you feeling the pressure of circumstances that don't seem to change? Feeling the weight of it? Is it on your shoulders? Are you finding it hard to put one foot in front of another at times? Are you weighed down with discouragement? Does it look like God's not here and are answering prayers? You've got stresses, you've got financial worries, you've got family issues. You feel the weight sitting on your heart. I've got good news for you. I've got good news. Jesus says, come to me. All you that are weary, heavy laden. I am the burden bearer, not you. So don't try to carry them. Give them to me. 
And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Because I'm gentle, I'm meek and lowly of heart. This is good news. I, hey, I tell you what, life can really put some burdens on you. Really, really can. But you know what? It's the Father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. This is incredibly, unbelievable good news. It's the Father's pleasure to take my burdens. Can you just imagine the multitudes of people who are suffering with the burdens of legalism and the sufferings with the burdens of the Pharisees on them and the sufferings of pain and the sufferings of sickness and the suffering of family problems going on. And Jesus says, come to me, I'll give you rest. This is unbelievable, incredible good news. Forgiveness is for everybody. For how many? How many? What about this woman caught in the act of adultery? What about her? Neither do I condemn you. What about the prostitute coming off the street right into the house of Simon the Pharisee and begins to kiss the feet of Jesus and wash them with her tears and dry them with her hair? He says, your sins are forgiven you. What about a prodigal son who rebels against his father and wastes everything? What about him? What about the lost sheep? What about him? Listen, in the kingdom, everything is grace and mercy. Listen, Jesus creates, talks about the great feast banquet at the end of time. And guess who gets invited? The beggars, the disenfranchised, the poor, and the sinners. This is good news. What message are we going to take out to this world anyway? This is good news. My goodness, some people have been laboring all day from the beginning of the sun and they born the heat and I go in in the 12th hour, the 11th hour to go to work and when it gets time to get paid, he pays me the same as everybody who's worked all day long. I'm going to say that's not fair. You're right. It's not fair because God isn't fair. He's not fair. He's generous. He's gracious. He's merciful. He is lavish in goodness. Aren't you glad you don't get what you deserve? I just want what I deserve. Well, you better not pray that prayer. You better not pray that prayer. Aren't you glad He gives you what you don't deserve? It's all mercy. The kingdom is a free gift. No strings attached. You can stand up and shout if you want to. This is worth shouting about. This is good news. And this is the message we have to take to a lost and a dying world. And you know why the kingdom is a free gift with no strings attached? Do you know why He gives to the undeserving and not to the worthy? Do you know why? The answer is simple. The King just happens to be Abba. The King is a Father. Oh, come on. This is where the great struggle was between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they had a conflict over what's the nature of God? Well, 
the Pharisees, their, their interpretation of God is a bit of a divine taskmaster who demanded perfection of his slaves. To them, God operated a fair universe where everybody got what they deserved. And of course, the Pharisees were very good in telling people what they deserved. And they really deserved loss because they were holy and righteous people. The only people who had the trouble with what Jesus had to say was the people who were religious and thought they were deserving. They're the ones who had the trouble with the message of Jesus because they thought they were deserving. And here all these undeserving people were entering into the kingdom and they weren't. If you think you're worthy, you're not going to receive. By contrast, Jesus taught that God is not fair. Boy, what kind of a message are we going to take out there? I saith the Lord, all ye sinners out there, God's not fair. That's good news. Because if he gave us what we deserved, none of us would be in this room. God is not fair, but he happens to be a father. And his nature as a father is generous, gracious, lavish mercy for the undeserving. After all, there's joy in heaven, the Bible says, over finding the lost. You should have been there the day the prodigal son came home. You should have been there in the heaven when the angels threw a party. Boy, you will need to know what it's like when God throws parties. You ain't seen nothing yet of joy. What is the nature of this God? He, he throws parties and he, God loves celebration. He loves celebration. He really, really does. So Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, use the word Abba. Don't think of him as a divine taskmaster that's hard to please and you can hardly get any mercy out of him because you don't measure up. Don't think of him as a cruel, harsh judge who gives people what they deserve and he's stingy. No, he is Abba, Father, generous, compassionate, loving, merciful. That's his nature. Folks, That's good news. This is incredibly unbelievable good news. The Bible is clear. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. The Bible is clear. It is not our repentance that causes God to be good to us. It is not that we repent and somehow to make God make us more acceptable to God so He can come into our lives and save us. Romans 2 4 says it this way it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It is not repentance that leads to the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Think of the story of the Exodus, the great story of the Exodus coming out of Egypt. What came first, God's grace or God's law? What came first, the love of God or His law? Did they have to conform in order to be delivered? No, it's pure grace. How I brought you to myself on the wings of an eagle, he says. Pure grace initiated from God. 
God delivered people from bondage. He brought them to Himself. And it's only after they experienced such amazing grace to people who did not deserve it. Because God would say to them, I didn't set my heart upon you because you were great in number. I didn't set my heart upon you because you were mighty. For you were the fewest of all people, the least of all people. I set my heart upon you because I love you. End of story. You can't earn His love and you can't earn His favor. It's impossible to do that. And He brought them out. And only after they came out (coughs) did He give them the law. But then as we've been teaching about the mercy of God, our understanding of the law needs to be changed. Because the law is an expression of love. You won't understand why God gave the law until you see that God is love and the law is an expression of love. They learned about the love of God, the mercy of God, and the compassion of God in the Ten Commandments and in all the law. And the reason God gives us the law is not to put legalism on us, but is to teach us how to express love back to God. If you're making marriage vows, you would say, I promise to be true to you and you only, and that is not legalism, that is a heart of love committing itself in obligation to the object of your love. When it says, have no idols before me, it's like getting married and say, God, because I love you, I have no other idols before you, I'll never take your name in vain. This is an expression of love. You see, the Bible says, we first, we love him. Because, what? He first loved us. Repentance is a love response to being loved and to being found. Repentance is a joyous response of gratitude for God's free gift of mercy. Consider the story of Zacchaeus. Does this mean that we're de-emphasizing repentance? You're about to see absolutely not. Does this mean that God turns a blind eye to unrighteousness in people's lives? You're going to see in a minute that does not. Jesus talked about repentance much in his parables and in his teaching. The story of the lost coin is about repentance. The story of the lost sheep is about repentance. And the story of the prodigal son is about repentance. There's joy in heaven over the one that repents. There's much there. Jesus would actually say something very strong in Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. Unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. But how does repentance work and what does it look like? Jesus told some stories that he left unended. And the reason he doesn't finish off a lot of stories is because he wants you to finish the story with your own response. For instance, the story of Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7. He invited Jesus to his house and didn't bother you know, offering a good seat to Jesus, didn't bother washing his feet, didn't bother greeting him at the door. And here comes a woman off the street who kisses his feet and gives him greeting and washes his feet not with a bowl of water but with her tears. And, and he who is forgiven much loves much and he who is forgiven little really has no capacity to love whatsoever. Woman, your sins are forgiven you. How did Simon the Pharisee respond to all that? You know what? 
We don't know. You know why we don't know? Because Jesus wants you to finish the story with your response. Or the story of the prodigal son. You know, he had an older brother, a legalistic older brother, who grew up in his father's house, who didn't even know his father's nature, didn't even know his father's character. Why don't you throw me a party? That son of yours, he can't even say my brother, that son of yours, I have nothing to do with him, that son of yours, waste all your living, you throw a party, why not for me? Listen to what the father says. Hey, you've been in my house all the time, you can have a party anytime you want. Trouble is, you don't know my nature. And there are people who gather around churches for decades who don't know the nature of God. I'm telling you, He is a Father, He is generous, He is lavish, He's loving, He's merciful, He's gracious, and He's good, and He loves to throw parties. He loves to throw parties. And you could have had it any time. Now, does that older brother get around and say, okay, well, give me a party? You know what? We don't know. He leaves the story unfinished. You know why he leaves it unfinished? Because we have to finish the story with our own response. So, so far in the teaching of Jesus, we don't have an example of what repentance looks like until we get to the story of Zacchaeus. Here is the picture of a man who responds to incredibly, unbelievably good news. It says in Luke 19, verse 1, that Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. A couple of things I want you to note. The culture demanded that somebody show him hospitality. I want you to note, Jesus did not receive, accept invitations to hospitality. He was going to pass through Jericho. But you need to understand before Luke 19, you have Luke 18. And the last verses of Luke 18, 35 to 43, is the story unnamed in Luke, but you know his name from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus was going into Jericho, there was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. By interpretation, Bartimaeus means the son of filth. How would you like to have a name like that? The son of garbage. The son of trash. The son of filth. That's what Bartimaeus means. How many know that's not a good name? How many know that's an awful reputation to have? How many know it's a terrible thing to be known for? The son of filth. That's Bartimaeus. But you know the story. How he cries out to to Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd says no. But he will not be denied. He's not going to miss the opportunity of Jesus passing by. Because when in life is that ever going to happen again? And so he's going to fight the crowd. And he shouts out, Jesus, Son of David, (coughs) have mercy on me. And Jesus called for him, and the very crowd that was fighting against Barnabas now has to usher him into the presence of Jesus. Now you know the story. What do you want me to do for you, Lord, that I might receive my sight? 
Okay, according to your faith. And then immediately his eyes were opened. Hey, this is good news. This is not a story. This is good news. Come on, he still works miracles. This is not just to teach us about the generous nature of Jesus. It does teach us that, but it teaches us that God, in order to show good news, wants to provide miracles for those who are undeserving. I'm going to say that again. God wants to show His power in the form of signs and wonders and miracles to the undeserving people. You don't look convinced. So I'm going to say it again, because we've got to get that into our heart, and we've got to get that into our spirit, that He is this lavish, generous God, and He yearns to show Himself strong on behalf of the lost by doing signs and wonders and miracles. These signs shall follow them that believe, the Bible teaches. And let us not be slack in believing that God wants to do miracles for unsaved people. If we don't understand that, we don't understand the generous heart of God. He wants to show himself strong. Zacchaeus, his eyes are opened and he follows Jesus. Now I'm going to ask you this question. Isn't it amazing when Jesus shows such mercy to the oppressed? You need to set an alarm clock here. Isn't it amazing that Jesus shows such mercy to the oppressed? Amen. Amen. This is incredibly good news. Jesus opens the blind. They're oppressed. And He's mercy and He's grace. What amazing grace. What good news is this kingdom? But now Jesus does that entering Jericho. Now he's on his way in Luke 19 out of Jericho. And he hasn't accepted anybody's offer of hospitality. And so on his way out of Jericho, he's going to meet somebody of a very different nature than Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was the oppressed. And now going out of Jericho, Jesus is going to meet the oppressor. Well, how far are we going to extend our grace here? Grace to the oppressed. But it's somebody different on the out, going out of Jericho. This is not an oppressed person. This is an oppressor. Zacchaeus was a shunned tax collector. The Bible says he was rich, and you can guess how he became rich. It came at your expense. By fraud and by theft. He's a crooked tax collector. He had no friends, except maybe those who were in the same business as him, and he happened to be the chief over all of them. He was the top man in the department of despised tax collectors. He was despised by the public. He and his family were considered unclean, on par with sinners, And culture and even the Pharisees said it's quite okay to lie to those guys. Don't tell them the truth. They'll take more money. It's quite okay to lie to your tax collector. It was encouraged. Now Zacchaeus is a short wee little man. 
And of course, he's extremely despised by the public. He had become rich at their expense, but he is curious. Aren't you glad when people get curious? He wants to see Jesus. But he can't go out there in public and join the crowd. They're not going to let him see Jesus. They despise him. They hate this man. They're likely to hit him and step over him. You know, They despise this man, Zacchaeus. So what he does is he runs outside of town. Because if you understand biblical geography, sycamore trees are not allowed to grow inside the city. They have to be outside the city. And this sycamore tree is at least 70 feet outside the walls of the city. And so Zacchaeus knows Jesus is going to pass through, and he's hoping by then the crowd would have left and stayed behind, and he's just going to get up into this sycamore tree, which has low branches, dense foliage, big leaves, a good place to hide, and at least he'll be able to see Jesus as he walks by, and hopefully the crowd won't be there, and when nobody's looking, he can get down the tree and back into his home in Jericho. As I said, Jesus is leaving the town. He hasn't received any hospitality that culture would have demanded be offered to him. He didn't stay with anybody. Oh, but the best laid plans of mice and men. Zacchaeus is spotted in the tree by Jesus and the crowd. Can you just imagine that crowd going wild? Look at that guy in the tree. They all hate him. They all despise him. Oh, we've caught that wee little rich man hiding up a tree. Can you just imagine the jokes that were going to go around for the rest of that man's life? Can you just imagine the insults that they were going to (coughs) hurl at him? This rich man who climbed a sycamore tree to hide from them. How is Jesus going to respond to this? Surely he will take the side of the oppressed people because in the tree was the oppressor. Won't he hurl insults at Zacchaeus like the rest of them? But church, listen. The kingdom is incredibly, unbelievably good news. Unbelievably good news. The kingdom is a free gift both to oppressed people and to oppressors. I wish you were here this morning. It's a good gift to the oppressed and to the oppressors. And what Jesus does is He takes the anger of that crowd because they despise and they hate that man that's in the tree. And what Jesus does is he's going to redirect their anger at Zacchaeus and Jesus is going to receive that anger himself. And he's going to stand between the crowd and Zacchaeus. And Jesus is now going to make himself the object of their wrath. The kingdom is incredibly, unbelievable good news. Even to the oppressor. Zacchaeus receives a demonstration of unexpected and costly love. Jesus doesn't endorse oppression, but neither does he condemn the oppressor. I want you to note that Jesus embraced Zacchaeus 
before there's any indication that Zacchaeus had changed. Did you catch that? He embraced Zacchaeus before there's any indication that Zacchaeus had even changed. Zacchaeus accepts being found. And in doing so, he is going to illustrate for us the response of repentance. But the crowd can't handle this. Jesus, who had refused their hospitality, now receives lodging in the house of an unclean oppressor. It's Passover time, you realize. And this is certainly no way to act at Passover time. If Jesus sits on this man's chairs, if he eats his polluted food, and if he reclines and sleeps on his guest bed, will not Jesus emerge out of that unclean and defiled? Won't that disqualify him for participating in the Passover? And the same city that gave Jesus praise for the healing of Bartimaeus is now disgruntled at the actions of Jesus. My, how fickle people can be. You're the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And next week, I have major problems with you. I'm glad I don't have to please any man, only God. Only God. The same city that gave praise to God for the healing of Bartimaeus is now disgruntled at the actions of Jesus. And so in order to show love to despised tax collector, it cost Jesus his reputation. Folks, the kingdom is incredibly good news. He made himself of no reputation to stand between you and wrath. This is good news. This is good news. He identified himself with a man who was hated by the crowd and thus became the object of their anger and their disillusionment. How will Zacchaeus respond to this demonstration of costly love? The Bible says he joyfully received Jesus into his house. And now we're going to have a picture of what repentance is and what it looks like. He had received costly love, now he's going to show it. Here's how it works. He who has received mercy gives mercy. He who has been loved loves. He who has been forgiven forgives. It begins with the gracious acceptance of God who shows mercy, who forgives, and who loves. And when that is communicated to the depths of your heart, then you become the person who shows mercy, who forgives, and who loves. It is a response 
to God's prior love being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. What is it that changed the heart of Zacchaeus? Was it that Jesus stayed overnight in his house? The answer to that is no. It's the fact that Jesus shifted the hostility of the town against Zacchaeus. He shifted their hostility away from himself and he absorbed it into himself. Shifted it away from Zacchaeus and he absorbed the hostility into himself. In other words, Jesus was acting out the message of the cross. That is the deepest level of the cross being acted out. Salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. Now I've got another question for you. Isn't it amazing when God shows mercy to the oppressor? But we can shout when he shows mercy to the oppressed. Isn't it amazing grace when God shows mercy to the oppressor? So what does repentance look like? It came as a response to being accepted. What does it look like? Does does, does it bypass righteousness? Do we not have to pay attention to matters of sin in the person's life? Can we say you're accepted but it's okay to carry on in your sin? What does repentance look like? When the heart is made aware of the love of God, not just in theory, but when the person receives experientially into their heart the overwhelming love of God, when the love of God has made its impression upon a person's heart, repentance follows, and repentance will always show and include an admission of guilt. That's what Zacchaeus does. Have I done any wrong? He knew he had done wrong. There was an admission of guilt. The younger prodigal son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. A Pharisee and a tax collector were in the temple. One said, Oh God, you're lucky to have me. I tithe, I fast twice a week. Man, am I ever a blessing to your kingdom. The other one said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Repentance, when the love of God is shone into the person's heart and they experience the pure, unadulterated love of God, they know they've done wrong. They know they've done wrong. There is an admission of guilt. There is a renunciation of their sin. It's not just, oh, I'm sorry that happened, when the fact is you're really not. You're sorry that it's been inconvenient, that you bothered somebody, it's been brought to your attention, but you're not really sorry that it happened. If we're sorry, then we're going to do something about what we did. And you know what? Zacchaeus doesn't just say, boy, I'm sorry I cheated everybody. You know what he did? I'm going to make myself poor to make it right with people. That's called repentance. That's called responding to the love of God. The tax collector stops his cheating. Conceited people turn from their pride. Jesus says to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more, but only after he had forgiven her first. The power to sit no more was knowing that she had been first forgiven. You see, you can't leave the house empty. Jesus said when the demons go out, 
and they come back and find it empty, they're going to bring seven buddies with them. Don't leave the house empty. You've got to fill it with the righteousness of God. What does repentance look like? It creates a new attitude towards self, to ourselves. Listen carefully. Because Jesus said, he that finds his life will lose it. And he that loses his life will find it. What people try to do in this world is people try to secure their own lives by everything in their power. Some people try to prove themselves great in something, make a name for themselves. Some people protect themselves because they've been hurt. I'm never going to get hurt again. And so we build a a cement wall around our hearts and we're just hard people and nothing's ever going to touch me and nobody's ever going to hurt me again. There's all kinds of reactions. Or I need to count in this life. I need to be something. I need to have a sense of identity. And so I'm going to become a, a great intellectual or I'm going to become famous and I'm going to be a rock star I'm going to do something because they're trying to find themselves, trying to come up with some self-importance but you know what forget it, you don't need to I've got good incredibly unbelievable good news for you, Jesus loves you just as you are and you don't have to be anything for him to accept you so you're trying to find your life? I've got good news for it. Quit trying to find it and just give up and lose it because you've already been found. Your self-worth is not in what name you can make for yourself. Your self-worth comes from the fact that God loves you. So quit trying to find yourself. Quit trying to invent yourself. You're trying to be something for the sake of finding yourself and have got some sense of security now. Quit it. He that finds his life, you're actually going to lose it. But if you would lose it, you'll find it. I've got incredibly good news for you. Your life has been found because God is Abba Father. So go ahead and lay it all down. That cement wall around your heart, let it fall. You're loved. Your security is in His love. Trying to make a name yourself and prove that you are somebody and look at all the energy that your men you're spending and all the money and all the worry and the stress trying to prove that you're somebody to somebody else. Quit it. I got good news for you. You're found and you're loved. And your worth and your identity is in the fact that God has found you. You don't have to prove yourself. That's incredibly good news. So repentance can let go of all that stuff. You know what? It's incredibly freeing when you let it all go. Did you know that? It's incredibly freeing not live under that stuff. Incredibly freeing. So we deny living according to a self-centered life. It takes up a cross. Because it embraces shame, undeserved suffering on behalf of others. Repentance means I don't have to live for the present age because it's passing away. Since my security is now in the fact that God has found me and He loves me, 
my goodness, since that's where my security, I can let go of trying to find identity in my friends. I can let go of trying to find identity in my family. I can let go of trying to find identity in my possessions, my home. I can release all of those things because I will, my life will never be found in those things. My life is secure because God loves me and therefore I can walk away from anything if I have to. Because my security in the fact that God has found me. Marvelous. This is incredibly good news. You see, it's the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's people who are empty-handed and undone. It's people who are nothing of themselves to offer. It's people who have been broken. It's people who have no need to strive. It's people who have realized they don't have to be sufficient. It's people who lacks self-sufficiency. That's why Jesus said, you've got to become as a little child. In other words, you've got to learn to say, Abba. And you've got to have your whole trust in God. All this worked out. All these things are there in the story of Zacchaeus. He admitted his guilt. He admitted his wrongdoing. He was more than sorry. He did something about the mess he had created for other people's lives. He no longer looked for identity and worth using the world's value system. He willingly gave up his life. He willingly gave up his security because he found true security in being found by Jesus. He could let it all go. Repentance came out as a response to being found. And the repentance was there. Repentance is not the way in. Hearing the good news is how you enter. (coughs) Repentance is a love response. Because your identity is now found in God. There's no need to secure yourselves. The Christian life begins by knowing that we are fully loved. And we are fully accepted. And we repent as a response to God's prior acceptance. Of us. The reason Jesus could say to the woman caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more, is because the first message he heard is, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. He didn't say, clean up your life and then I won't condemn you. He said, while she was still in sin, before she had confessed it, neither do I condemn you. And having received such love, then, as a response of love, go and sin No more. Being secure in God brings glorious freedom. I am delivered from the need to create a name for myself. That's good news. I am delivered from the need to establish myself in my own kingdom. That's good news because it sure takes a lot of sweat and effort to build your own kingdom and make a name for yourself. I'm delivered from that because my security is in the fact that God loves me. And He has accepted me. We can let our lives go. We can lose them. There's no need to try to be something or somebody for security's sake. The good news comes as a free gift. The gospel begins with a prior love of God. Repentance is what happens when you hear the gospel as good news. Repentance is what happens when the love of God has penetrated the heart 
Repentance brings great freedom. And it sets us free from everything we look to for meaning and purpose. God has found you. And thus you have value, you have meaning, and you have security. We can gladly lose our lives because God has found us. Such is the joy of repentance. And this is what the story of Zacchaeus wants to teach us. This is incredibly, unbelievable good news. And you know what? There's a world out there that can't believe that such news even exists. You tell them that, they couldn't even believe it. But that's the good news. Incredibly, unbelievable good news. Let us go demonstrate it. Let us show the mercy of God. Let us show the love of God. Let us show the compassion of God. Let us believe God for miracles to undeserving people. Such is the kingdom of heaven.